Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You know, around my house, some flowers, candlelight, a little bit of red wine, maybe a little Marvin Gaye, let's get it on, maybe some prints on the radio. That is a good sign that mating season is starting around my house. That's not the way things are in the turkey woods. It's a good bit different. And so today we're going to talk about the breeding cycle of hens with Bob Erickson of the NWTF. Bob's going to share with us in this episode what it is that gets a hen into the mood to breed, how much the peak season varies from the north to the south, how much more likely a mature hen is to nest successfully than a juvenile hen. He's going to talk to us a little bit about the best nesting habitat. He's also going to share with us why jakes group up at the end of the spring season, how long hens sit on nests full time, and we're going to learn what determinate nesters means. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Here is Bob Erickson with the NWTF. Thank you very much for listening today, and I'll see you on the other side. I am pleased to have on the line with me this week Bob Erickson, who is a regional biologist with the NWTF, and he covers Pennsylvania, Maryland, New Jersey, and Delaware. He's been a biologist with the NWTF now for 13 years, and prior to that, he was a wildlife biologist supervisor for the New Jersey Division of Fish and Wildlife and the Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fisheries. Bob has done a great deal of work with wild turkey research and restoration and black bear research as well. Not only is Bob an expert on wild turkeys through all of his research that he's done through the years, but he is also a longtime turkey hunter. So I'm pleased to introduce Bob to you today. Bob, how are you and where are you? I'm doing well, Andy, thanks. And I'm in New Jersey right now uh, looking out at some kind of rainy skies. Oh, yeah. We've got rain here in Alabama today and several lines of rain coming through and expecting this evening upwards of two inches, two to three inches today. So it's going to be a wet one here, and hopefully you guys will miss some of that hard rain like we're getting. I believe we're scheduled for it tomorrow, and that will uh, finish us out for any chance of a white Christmas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't know what white Christmas is down here in Alabama. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) We know what wet Christmases are like, but we don't know what white Christmases are like. Well, now, you've been a biologist for a long period of time, and you obviously have a passion for the outdoors and wildlife, and that's what got you into 
being a biologist and get, got you into that field and, and in those studies. But how did you first get into turkey hunting? Well, I've been interested in birds all of my life, and I hunted in Pennsylvania from the time I was a kid. In the area of Pennsylvania that I hunted, we didn't have any turkeys at the time. But mm-hmm. back in the late 60s, wild turkeys moved in, and that just kind of piqued my interest. So I began to hunt them when I was in college in the late 60s in Pennsylvania. Okay. Not too successfully, I might add. <laughs> then you and I had about the same success rate with them when we started out. You know, did you did you have a mentor to help teach you, you know, the, the sport yeah. of turkey hunting? You know, back in those days, there were very few turkey hunters, and there were very few spring turkey hunters. There was a long-standing tradition for fall turkey hunting in Pennsylvania. But even so, there weren't many people that would tell you how to do it, and there weren't any videos out at the time. So a lot of it was learned by trial and error. But I did meet a few people back in the 70s who were accomplished turkey hunters who served as mentors. One was Fred Evans, who was a technician with New York State Department of Environmental Protection, and then a Mm -hmm. couple friends of mine in Virginia as well. That's great. Well, I had about the same type of start, trial and error. My mentor was the wild turkey gobbler, and he taught me more than I think any anybody could have taught me. But, and it's been a long time that I've been turkey hunting. They continue to teach me new things every year. Absolutely. I'm with you on that, too. Well, I wanted to get you on today because you are an expert on wild turkeys, and you've dedicated your life to that. And I'm a firm believer that if you're going to be more successful hunting an animal, then you need to know all you can about that animal. And so on this show, we've got a lot of listeners whose experience level ranges from beginning all the way to expert. And so I still feel like even with our expert hunters that you're going to have some information that you can share that will help them be better turkey hunters come springtime. And so that's the main reason why I wanted to get you on today and uh, look forward to hearing what you have to share with us, but I've got some questions lined up and there's something you feel like I need to cover. Please jump in and let us know. Okay. So I guess the first question that I have for you is typically how many eggs will a hen lay in the springtime and kind of a tie on to that, how many eggs will she lay each day? Well, hen turkeys will, will begin to lay, depending on, on the latitude and, and weather conditions, uh, anywhere from late March through April and early May. But they lay one egg a day until their clutch is complete. So a hen will start laying, say, on the 15th of April, and about 14 or 15 days later, when she's got 11 or 12 eggs in the nest, she'll quit laying and begin to incubate. So it's over a two-week period, one egg a day. She sometimes may skip a day or two in between, depending on weather conditions or whether she's been disturbed or nutrients, that kind of thing. Yeah. Now, a question that I have for you, and this is not on my list of questions. It's just something that I just thought of. It's something that my buddies and I always talk about because we try to hunt turkeys in several different states each year, ranging all the way from Florida on up to the north. This past year, we were in North Dakota and South Dakota, but What is generally the difference in when a turkey starts to breed running from north to south? There's a little bit less difference than most folks would surmise. When you go far south into Florida and and southern Alabama, Mississippi, southern Georgia, we're probably dealing with with hens that may begin to lay as, as early as the fourth week of March. Mm-hmm. You get up into Maine, probably talking about the 20th of April as as an early start to laying. But there's some variability in that. The In the mid-Atlantic sure. region, 
in general, hens will start to lay around the 15th of April. And there's a little bit of difference between not only latitude, but also altitude makes a difference too. But primarily, the onset of the breeding cycle is determined by daylight length. And daylight length pretty much across the board doesn't vary a whole lot from north to south. Okay. I've actually heard different reasons for what triggers a hen to start breeding. Some people say, well, it's, you know, the ground temperature. But just about everything I've read states that it is the length of daylight, and you just confirmed that. Yes, the photoreceptors in the eye of the wild turkey and other birds, for that matter, begin to perceive that lengthening daylight hours, and that stimulates the pituitary gland to get things in motion, the hormone production and everything else that's necessary to get into breeding condition. So that's why there's there's a lot less variability in north to south than one would suppose, even though there is some. But there's also factors that weather conditions can either advance or delay some of the egg laying, and not by much, you know, not much, by much more than a week. For instance, if they get a late snow or, or a late winter, that mm-hmm. causes green up to come out late. But in general, it's it's pretty much on the money. Okay. That's pretty interesting. And I assume then it's the same triggers for the gobbler as it is for the hen. It's those photoreceptors then. It is. That that is the same trigger. Though I will admit that gobblers are probably interested in, in pursuing hens and seeing how interested they are just about at any time of the year. Um, <laughs> I've seen Aren't we all? <laughs> pretty, pretty similar to all males. Uh, but actually their production of, of active sperm is determined by the, the length of daylight. And in fact, if you look at juvenile males at Jake, toward the end of the spring gobbler season, their testosterone levels and this, the uh, development of their testes begins to decline toward the end of the season. And so you'll find a lot less activity and responsiveness by the jakes. You'll see them come in groups toward the end of the season, but they're more interested in getting together with other birds than they are in breeding because they kind of run out of steam on, as far as the reproduction effort goes. Mm-hmm. That's pretty interesting as well. Well, do the older hens and younger hens... Do they typically get bred at the same time, or are the older hens usually bred first by the gobbler? Well, they're all stimulated by that uh, that photo period, mm-hmm. but experienced hens, the ones that have nested before and, and pretty much know what they're doing, are more likely to, to consort with the gobblers and, and be bred earlier than the younger hens. The younger hens will hang out with the gobblers on into the late spring sometimes. Some of them will not nest at all because they're not sexually mature enough to nest. Others will will nest with a limited degree of success. Juvenile hens don't add a lot to the population, though some of them are successful. Most of them are not. Just inexperienced. Yeah, I would imagine this varies depending on habitat and that type of thing, but how much less successful is a juvenile hen likely to be in having a brood of poults compared to a mature hen? Overall, the the nesting success, when you look at both the adult and the juvenile hens, about 35%. If somebody nests or lost to predators or disturbance. But because older hens have the experience of being able to, of having picked out four spots before, they have a little bit better selection process. And so they probably are about twice as likely to, to bring off a brood and raise it successfully than a juvenile hen. Okay. So then what type of habitat can I typically expect to see a hen have a nest? The nesting habitat is, is variable. Some hens will nest right out in the open forest up against the base of a tree. Most of the time, however, they like a little bit of overhead cover, just a little bit of a horizontal branch over their head. So some horizontal cover is really necessary. So a briar patch, blackberry brambles, the tops after a uh, 
timber harvest has taken place, mm-hmm. provide some good nesting habitat. They, nest, they also nest in one-season grass stands where the grass is kind of bent over from the winter weather and provides them with some overhead cover. And hens that nest late will even be found occasionally nesting in hay fields because the, the grass in, in the hay fields is uh, tall enough to hide them. Right. Yeah, that's that's their main concern, isn't it, when they're on a nest, is being concealed from predators both on the ground and in the air. That's correct. And the best nesting sites, the most successful nesting sites, are generally in former cutovers that have begun to regrow, that provide that overhead cover, provide that large area that predator would have a tough time hunting. It's just a better spot to be in than, say, a linear piece of habitat like a power line right away that a predator would have an easy time hunting. Yeah. Several years ago on my hunting club, um, I actually stumbled across a hen who was, she was actually up on the very first tree branch on this tree. She was probably 10 feet off the ground. The only reason I noticed her is I was walking through the woods and she was making this weird kind of a growling sound. And I thought, I've never heard this sound before. And I kept looking around trying to figure out where the sound was. Well, I looked over and there's this hen probably 20 feet from me and making this odd sound and so I started looking around I thought she's got a nest close by I started looking around and I found in a hollowed out tree that had just fallen over and the the trunk of it was hollowed out she had laid her nest in there Mm -hmm. and I thought that was a pretty interesting spot for it yeah Uh, I I do know that there there's one occasion where a hen actually nested off the ground in a tree that had broken off and provided kind of a flat surface about uh-huh. four or five feet off the ground, but that's pretty unusual. Most of the time, it's slap on the ground. Yeah. I also thought it was unusual that she actually stuck around. And any time that I've accidentally bumped a hen off a nest, they've left the country. Yes. And so I thought it was very strange that this one stuck around. Is there any reasoning for that that you might think of or know of? I would guess that she was pretty close to hatching. They develop a higher degree of fidelity or devotedness to that nest the longer they're on it. And if she's got young colts inside those eggs that are starting to make noise and move around in the eggs, Mm -hmm. she may be more inclined to stay there in a situation like you described than she would have been earlier in, in incubation. Yeah. Got to sit on that nest for you know, 26 to 28 days. It's a pretty dangerous time to be a hen turkey, you know, sitting on the ground for that period of time. And then for two weeks after the poults hatch before they can fly. So she's got about a six-week window there where she's in, in some pretty grave danger. Right. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to get too terribly close to her. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want her to fly over there and beat me up. So, yeah, I figured if she wasn't leaving the area... I didn't need to be in the area. We were going to let her let her stay and not disturb the nest. So that's exactly what I did. That's the best bet. You know, early in incubation or while they're laying, hens will abandon the nest. And while that's a natural behavior because the nest has been discovered, there's a good chance a predator would return to it. So that's kind of a survival technique. But later in incubation, it's more important for her to hatch those eggs than it is for her to try and start another clutch. Most hens, especially adult hens that abandon the nest, will re-nest and try it again at least two, at least one more time. And some hens have been known to nest to try to nest at least four times during the course of the spring and summer. Wow. So are the adult mature hens more likely to do that than the juveniles? Yes, without a doubt. Juvenile hens will seldom re-nest successfully, while the adult hens will often re-nest and, and do it successfully. Usually, though, their second clutch is a little smaller than their first clutch. It takes a lot of energy to develop eggs and put that hard shell on them. So the second clutches may, instead of being 11 or 12 eggs, might be 8 to 10 eggs mm-hmm. when those adult hens. Okay. So that leads me to another question. Then when an adult hen gets 
ready to re-nest if her first nest is destroyed or she abandons it, does she at that time have to be bred again by the gobbler? Because from what I understand, the hen can store the gobbler sperm for a period of time, can't she? So technically, she'd only have to be bred once in order to lay a clutch of eggs. That's that true. Right? Uh, yeah, domestic turkey hens can store active sperm for up to 56 days. So we wow. have no reason to believe that a wild hen couldn't produce fertile eggs for more than a month after she's been bred. And, however, if it's still breeding season and you know there's still that breeding opportunity window, the hen will often go back and visit with gobblers and be bred again. Yeah. It's, it's so, insurance purposes, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So then would it be necessary for her to be bred again if she does abandon and, and try to re-nest? Or, or would the... Not necessarily, no. No, okay. she could, she could um, re-nest without being bred again. Okay. Uh, I had one radio tag hen uh, that attempted to nest four, four times. And apparently the, the last time she attempted, she had not been bred in a long period of time. Started to nest on 15th of July. At least she sat down to incubate on the 15th of July. She tried to incubate for 40 days and finally just gave oh, it wow. up. Wow. So she was determined to have a brood, <laughs> but unfortunately, that last clutch was un- infertile. The first three clutches, who knows? She may not have produced a fertile egg at all, but she may have, have just used up all of the available sperm. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty resilient there. Yeah, she, she was definitely a keeper as far as uh, breeding hens go. That's the type of hen you want in the population. One that won't give up. Absolutely. So once a hen is bred, how long will it typically be before she lays her first egg? You know, there's some variability in that. And I've seen hens bred in this latitude, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, as early as about the 9th or 10th of March. And they don't produce eggs for another three weeks or better toward the beginning of April at the very earliest. But in general, if a hen is bred in late March, she'll start to lay a couple weeks later. Once she starts to lay, the egg development is stimulated by photo period, but also by her desire to find a place and sit down and lay an egg. So she kind of determines when that's going to happen. So it can be two or three weeks after she's been bred. Okay. And so w- once a hen is bred and she does lay her first egg, from that point on, how long is it typically before she sits on the nest full time? She, she'll lay one egg a day for the next about a period of about two weeks. She'll miss uh-huh. a day here and there. And when she's done, she'll have 10 to 12 eggs in that nest. Once she has 10 to 12 eggs, wild turkeys are what we call determinate nesters. One day, she's going to settle down on those eggs, kind of get a feel that, oh, that's enough. <laughs> and, and, and then she'll start to incubate. And incubation okay. takes place. It's 26 to 28 days of incubation. Right. Okay. Now, when she's laying an egg a day, typically how long each day during that period of time will she sit on the nest? She won't sit on the nest for very long at all. She'll she'll approach the nest kind of in a circuitous route. She'll move into the nest, lay an egg, and get out of there as soon as she can. And while she's laying, she usually kicks with just a few leaves over the top of the eggs that she's already laid, and she doesn't spend much time at the nest at all during the laying period. Okay. So then if we do happen to bump one that's on the nest, there's a chance that she's either laying or she's sitting full-time. That's correct. I mean, that would be the, the two reasons there. Okay. Right. That's, that's pretty interesting. I guess that does help to keep the hen around a little bit longer so she's not sitting on that nest for as long a period of time, making her vulnerable, isn't it? And the more time she spends on the nest while she's laying because she's moving in and out on a daily basis, you know, the easier it is for a predator to track her. Mm-hmm. Comes and goes as quick as she can. And that circuitous route that she's taking, is that 
to maybe throw the scent trail off for predators? Is that yeah, what you think should, that may be? She's probably just uh, taking the long distance route to A, to kind of scope the area out, make sure nobody's waiting for it near there, and B, yeah, to provide a little bit less of a direct line to the nest. Okay. Pretty neat stuff. This is good stuff for me to know. You're definitely shedding some light on some things. I'm learning a great deal. I appreciate that. Now, when a hen is sitting on the nest full time at that stage, is she is she full time day and night, or is she actually roosting in trees at night? First couple of days of incubation, she may roost in trees at night, but after a few days, she'll be on the nest height all night long. She'll leave it once or twice during the course of the day to get food and water. But late in incubation, they are so still on the nest that if you have a radio package on that hen she could set off the mortality signal by saying so still. Wow. When we're doing research on them, we set the mortality sensor on a 12-hour basis. So hopefully the hen won't set it off by sitting still for more than 12 hours. But occasionally that does happen. So in the case of research, when when we have a mortality signal, it's important for us to know what happened to the hen. But it's also important for us not to bump that hen off the nest. So we not approach that mortality signal if we have any idea at all that she's on the nest. If she's away from the nest and has a mortality signal, then we know she got killed somewhere away from the nest. But if she's on the nest or near the nest, researchers don't check on them because they don't want to cause abandonment and skew the data. Right. Well, are there any tips that you can share that might help us as hunters to be able to identify what stage of breeding that the hens are in on our property? And I know they're not all at the same, necessarily at the same stage because they're getting bred at, you know, different times, but generally they're they're pretty close, aren't they? Uh, in general, they are, but you also have the factor of hens that have started to lay a clutch and had that clutch predated um, mm, so that they're yeah. back, you know, back on the, a different schedule. But if you watch the flocks in the late winter and early spring, the flocks keep getting smaller and smaller. When you see a gobbler that still has two or three hens with him, he's either got a juvenile hens with him or the adult hens haven't started to really incubate yet. The median date of incubation in Pennsylvania over the last five years, that's the date when half the hens are incubating in Pennsylvania. It's been around the 4th of May. So that means that half the hens, that on the 4th of May, half the hens are still not incubating. Wow. So there's there's some variability there, but if you if you watch the, the number of hens with the gobbler and whether you're seeing lone hens or whether you're seeing hens in small groups, that's a big factor. If you're seeing lone hens, you've got hens that are laying or beginning to incubate, and that's when the gobblers might come looking. They may not be as vocal, gobbling and all, but they will be looking for company. Mm-hmm. And when we're hunting and in, in, at that time of the season when early in the morning the hens and gobblers are together and then the gobbler tends to lose his hens during the day, that is usually because the hens are are going off to lay an egg. I mean, unless something jumps in and separates them. Is that correct? That's correct. And that's why why it really pays to... uh you know, to check back on the spot where that gobbler was roosting, if he if he has company and he walks away from you first thing in the morning, uh, you might want to go in there late morning or afternoon and see if he's come back to check on the other hen he heard that he didn't see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very very good tip there for sure. Thanks for tuning in to part one of episode 20, The Breeding Cycle of Hens with Bob Erickson of the NWTF. Be sure to tune in next week for part two of the episode where Bob is going to share some more great information with us. I look forward to seeing you guys next week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending some time with us. I hope you have a great week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. 
If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.